This is part three on going deeper in prayer. Prayer is the most powerful, important part of your Christian walk. Because when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned, the glory left them. That's why they were naked and all of a sudden they realized it. The glory left them. But they, they lost the fellowship that they once had, that intimacy with God. And from that point, it went downhill. And God told them, you'll eat, as soon as you eat the fruit, you'll die. But it began spiritually. They died spiritually. Then their soul area experienced death. And then their physical body eventually died as a result in that order. But they lost the relationship. Now when Jesus came, Christianity is really not a religion. I know that people preach that it is and people think that it is. Religion is a set of rules, ceremonies, legalism, measuring up. But true true biblical Christianity is a restored relationship with God that was lost in Adam but regained in Christ. Christ is the last Adam. That's what the Bible calls him. So what was lost in Adam was restored in Christ. But the main thing is it, the, the relationship is now restored. I cannot backtrack too much and get into the power of the blood. I'll talk a little bit about it tonight. But before I get into that, I want, I want to share something that I want everybody to really give me your best ear. If you're live streaming, if you're listening to this by recording, I want you to really do me a favor and try to turn off anything that would distract you in any way and really hear the next thing I'm going to say because I feel it's very important. You know, one of the important things about prayer is is that it plays a large role of you going into your destiny in Christ, okay? It plays a large role in the anointing in your life and your steps being ordered into your destiny and you becoming everything God wants you to be and seeing the fullness of the fruit that you're supposed to bear. And so what I'm about to share with you is actually something that can hinder people from their destiny. So this is why I'm sharing it in in this series on prayer. But listen to what Jesus said. This isn't in the notes. I, I want you to hear me though. It says, Matthew 10, 41, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. That's very important. It says, he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet. So there's people that have a really hard time for some reason honoring the gifting in other people. And really honoring that somebody truly is an apostle or honoring that somebody truly is a prophet. Now not everybody that goes around calling themselves an apostle or prophet is. But if they are... It's extremely important that you receive them in that way and give honor that way because if you don't, it says here, he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive the prophet's reward. I believe with all my heart that there's people that because they have not honored properly spiritual authority the way they should, they actually, something happens in the spirit realm where they don't receive the reward God has for them. They can sit in a service. There'll be a lot of people there Somebody will come in. Others will really honor and receive their gifting. And they'll go home and really take something with them. But this person that's not really honoring them the way they should, honoring their ministry, honoring their giftings, can actually leave and not take with them the reward that was laid out there for everybody. Just real fast some things. Not everybody that prophesies is a prophet. We can all be used by God to give a prophetic word. It's available to everybody. Does that make sense? Paul said, I pray for all, I pray for all of the gifts, earnestly desire them, I pray for all of them. So all of us have the potential to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, one of them being prophecy. You can be very accurate in giving prophetic words, words of knowledge, things like that. You can even have some dreams that are prophetic, but it doesn't necessarily make you a prophet. A prophet is somebody that carries a mantle and a gifting to do that. It's a special endowment from the Lord. Some have this mantle and calling to be a prophet. A a true prophet of God will expose God's will and his plans. And they'll also expose the devil's plans. 
A true prophet is not necessarily positive all the time. They will be used to bring a lot of encouragement, but they'll also be used to bring a lot of correction. That means sometimes their prophecies will warn people of impending judgment if they don't repent. And maybe even expose sin. That's a true prophet. But ultimately, even that is the love of God bringing people closer to Christ and, you know, trying to prevent them from being judged. God doesn't want that. He wants them, obviously, to repent. But a true prophet will come in that way. Now, I shared all that, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the honoring. This can really, this teaching is really important for people. See, I'll give you an example because sometimes I see people that are way too casual, way too casual, way too comfortable with spiritual authority. And the problem is, is that it actually is exposing something within the person. That's very dangerous. I'm about to show you in the Bible and you'll see what I mean. But you know, even school teachers, I mean, you don't go casually say they're calling by their first name. You show respect. How much more should we respect spiritual authority than a school teacher, even though you should respect school teachers? Do you see what I'm saying? And pastors and people that I know, not necessarily into titles or even care anything about that, but it's it's somewhat of a red flag and a concern when when a minister sees people that are way too casual. Let me show you why. In the Bible, Judas was exposed a certain way. Jesus could have exposed Judas in any way that you could possibly use your mind to imagine, but he chose to expose Judas this way. They were sitting at the table. He said, somebody's going to betray me. And Peter, because in the Passover they would sit in a certain order, the youngest was here, and they would lean and so John was the closest to the Lord. And Peter told John, said, listen, ask him who. So John leans over and Jesus says, the person that will dip his bread with me. Now here's the whole revelation about that. Jesus could have exposed Judas, but he chose to do it this specific way. And everything Jesus did was significant. And everything that's in the Bible was significant. The reason why Jesus said Judas will dip his bread with me is because Judas had gotten way too casual and comfortable with Jesus that he was willing to just casually eat off his plate and not even think anything about it. Seriously. Whereas, the Apostle John was far closer to Jesus relationally. But when you look in the book of Revelation, when Jesus appeared to John, John fell on his face in humility. You see the difference. Judas had gotten casual. And so, it's always a red flag in the ministry when you see people that are way, way too casual and comfortable. Because you know that the potential is there down the road that they might become a Judas. And I've seen it. I've seen it in my ministry. I've seen people that are way too casual. Later on down the road, they became a Judas. So I encourage you to be careful about how you respond to spiritual authority. Because if David, if King David had not honored Saul and had a respect for authority, he would have never ended up in the throne, I promise you. Before God will ever entrust somebody with spiritual authority, he's first got to teach them to honor authority first and really respect authority. You know, my pastors growing up, I was always... You know, just real honoring to them and, you know, Pastor so and so, I was real. But listen, you got to be careful with spiritual authority. I just feel that for some people. It's almost like whenever the devil started circling Jesus' camp, he found Judas and came in that way. It's like Satan slithered through that crack, found somebody he could use. The pride of being way too comfortable and casual. You know, David, even though Saul was literally trying to slit his throat and physically murder him, an innocent man trying to murder him, was chasing him, David still never once would, would say things. 
he wouldn't run him down. He, he wouldn't retaliate. And it was really interesting to watch David's life because David, most of us will read that and think, man, just defend yourself. But David would always run and not touch God's anointed. He was afraid. He was afraid to disrespect his authority and his office as the king. And he always had the attitude like, it's not my place because God put him there. It's, he has... He has the anointing from the Lord to be king, and it's and it's God. God put him there, and God's going to have to remove him. And David refused to retaliate. Anyway, to make a long story short, Saul died, and David took the throne. But he would have been disqualified if he would have ever tried to illegitimately take the throne by trying to undermine Saul. You see what I'm saying? And I felt that was for some people. So really be careful because there's a subtle pride and arrogance about being too casual and too comfortable around spiritual authority. That can actually open you up. That pride can actually open you up for like a Judas type of thing to take place down the road. That's one of the things that sticks out to me is those that are really honoring of authority. And I, and I love Brother Anthony because he's always been, even though God has so anointed him and used him so powerfully, I've seen a lot of humility there. And he's always been very honoring and respecting toward me as a pastor. You know, even though he's a mighty man of God in his own right. You see what I'm saying? And I believe that's why God has entrusted spiritual authority to him and put a mantle on him and used him in a mighty way. Whereas other people may not be seeing that. All right. I want to get in this word, but I felt that was for somebody. I'm going to do a few more sermons after this on prayer. Then I'm going to do a sermon on apostles, teach on that. Then I'm going to do a sermon on the fivefold ministry and explain the different offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. All right. And then, of course, Brother Anthony will be ministering at the end of March. All right, so let me go ahead and get into this. I talked to you guys in the last couple sermons about going deeper in prayer. Deeper in prayer means that it's not a religious thing. It's not a robotic thing. It's not a dead ritual. But I am going to give you some biblical patterns that will help you to be able to pray longer and more effectively. Leonard Ravenhill said, and I've quoted this already, but Leonard Ravenhill said that a minister that does not at least pray a couple hours a day is worthless to God. And I would have to say that's probably the truth. And not only that, but Jesus, Dr. Cho pointed out that Jesus came back to the disciples three times and said, could you not tarry one hour? So Jesus, as the minister, was praying three hours, and he was requiring his disciples to pray at least an hour. So the point being that our our mentalities need to change, and we need to go deeper and have longer and extended prayer times in the Lord. I believe God is going to help us go much, much deeper. And some of you probably think, how in the world could you pray an hour? How could you pray longer than an hour? What is there to talk about? I'm going to explain it as I go, and today will help you. But I promise you that when I'm done with this series, that praying like five hours would not be that challenging after I'm done with this series. It's not that hard. It's really not. But people look at it and they think, well, what do you talk about? Well, there's, there's a lot of times you don't necessarily keep asking for things. There's more to prayer than just asking. There's fellowship, okay? And I'm going to explain all that. But here's one pattern of prayer that I believe all of us need to know and all of us need to apply to our lives. Jesus taught us that the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he taught them how to pray. And all of you can probably quote the Lord's Prayer. And let me read it to you. It says this, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So that's the Lord's Prayer. And people say, well, you know, you you say that in 30 seconds. How are you supposed to pray like an hour, let alone two, three, four, five hours? You've got to break this thing down, okay? Number one is we've got to come through the blood of Jesus. See, today, before we came into God's presence, we took time to take the Lord's Supper and get washed and covered in the blood of Jesus, which we need to do every day. 
The blood of Jesus needs to be applied to your life every day. See, the reason Jesus said this, pray in this way, our Father who's in heaven, the reason we are God's children is because we've been washed and bought by the blood. So the first revelation is the blood. I cannot go back and dwell on it too much, but the awesome power of Jesus' blood, when applied to your life, protects you from the devil, takes you into the glory. And because of the blood, I'm convinced that you can live throughout your day in the glory. At Maheshavda says the glory bubble. You can walk in the glory. And when you pray, you can experience God's glory. God's glory is this presence that you feel here tonight. When we were worshiping, it's this weighty, heavy presence. That is the glory. And I'm convinced that because of the blood, you can dwell in God's glory. But it's not because of your righteousness. And I've already spent a couple sermons on this, so I'm not going to go too deep in it, okay? But there's one lamb per household. That means that when you take the Lord's Supper and apply the blood, it can affect your whole family. The awesome power of the Lord's Supper, which I've already taught so much on that I can't go back and recap on that. But it's so important that the first thing you do is to get washed and covered in the blood and that you're coming through the blood. Because if you don't take time to do that and come through the blood, then your prayer life's going to be hindered and resisted and you're going to feel frustrated. So I tell the story when I first started learning how to pray. I mean, it was frustrating because I didn't know how. And I would sit in there and want to pray because I knew that people that God had used in an awesome way were people of prayer. I mean, it's not hard to figure out all the great revivals that's ever happened were birthed in prayer and sustained in prayer. Every person that God has used in an awesome way throughout church history was a man or a woman of prayer. And so, I mean, I saw that and I thought, well, I'm going to learn how to pray. And so I go in there and try to learn how to pray. And I mean, at first it was very aggravating, okay? But God taught me how to pray, and now prayer is easy, it's very enjoyable, it's very powerful. And because of my prayer life, now I feel like the Lord shows me a lot of things, the sermons, what to preach, how to preach. He shows me, you know, what's going on in the ministry spiritually. And prayer is what tunes you into the Lord, keeps you in tandem with the Lord. You want to know His heart, and you want to have His mind, but you're only going to get that in prayer. You want to be able to see with his eyes and hear with his ears, but that comes through prayer. So there's got to be, your prayer life has got to go a lot deeper. And I believe with all my heart, every Christian should be able to easily pray an hour a day with this pattern easy. And I promise you, if you start disciplining yourself to do it, and it's not that hard, if you'll do it, it'll change your life radically. Your prayer, I mean, your prayer life, you'll come out of there, there'll be a fresh anointing, you'll be filled with the Spirit. Your day will be a lot easier. It's amazing how much prayer affects your whole life. It affects your finances. It affects your health. It affects your relationships. It affects your workplace. So coming through the blood, the next part, so you take time to get washed and covered in the blood. Like I talked about last week, the cross, you see the blood washing you and covering you, the healing of the stripes, the the deliverance from the curse of the law. Remember all this? You see this washing over you and your family, flushing out what's of the devil, bringing the blessings given Abraham, bringing hell. So you can spend time about the blood there. You could easily spend 15 minutes right there, taking communion, getting washed and covered. And, and what I taught you last week about receiving from that, that's easily 15 minutes. Now, you move into worship. It's like here in service. We took time to come through the blood. Then what? You get into worship. What happens in worship? The presence of God comes. The glory comes. And so whether you want to worship just by yourself, you want, you want to put on some worship and use like a CD or something, but you begin to worship the Lord. You can worship in the Spirit. You know, just worship songs. Larry Lee points out in his book, and I gave you a sheet about it, about the hallowing God's name. There is something about that that's very powerful. Jesus taught us, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus did reference worship in connection to the name of God. So there's something about knowing God's name. And there's the basic names that are listed on there. They're easy to memorize. But when you worship, you begin to worship, Lord, you are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. In Hebrew, it's Yahweh, not Jehovah, but however you want to say it. Jehovah Mishpah, our righteous judge. Rohi, our shepherd. Rapha, our healer. 
And these are names that are actually in the Bible. And you know, there's something about the name of God that's powerful and knowing his name and worshiping his name because the Bible says in Psalm 91, because you know my name, I will exalt you. I will lift you on high. You will call upon me and I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble and deliver you, honor you with long life, satisfy you and show you my salvation. All that's linked to the name. So there's something about knowing God's name and worshiping him and worshiping his name. And with that, obviously, the name of Jesus, the name above all names. But this, this sheet I gave you, that Brother Larry Lee gave me permission to give out, by the way. He's a sweet man. I tell you, he's a man of prayer. If you want to go deep, read that book, Could You Not Tarry One Hour? It's an amazing book. Probably one of the best books ever written on prayer. But as you worship God, the Bible says God inhabits the praise of His people. And in the tabernacle, the incense was the worship and the prayer. And they would take that incense, they had a little censer, it was just a bowl with a chain. And they would burn that incense and they would take that incense and that incense would go with them from the holy place all the way into the holy of holies. So in other words, the revelation is that worship takes you into God's glory, into his presence. Just like tonight. I think, you know, that's why the Holy Spirit sometimes moves a certain way because he's moving in tandem with the word of God that he wants you to hear tonight. But look at how thick the glory was in worship. See, the Lord did that as an illustration for you that he inhabits the praise of his people. He wants your life to begin to worship him and he'll come dwell with you. The worship of God causes his presence to dwell. Let me tell you to, to check your life because you don't want to... To have things like in your home that cause the Holy Spirit to not want to be there. Things that are satanic. Things that are occult. Worship of other gods. Things that are, that are sexually perverted. Anything that causes lust. I don't care what it is. If it causes lust. Things like profanity. Do your best to keep that out. Which I realize sometimes it's not the easiest thing because it seems to be everywhere. But do your best to keep that out because there's a lot of reasons, but it grieves the Holy Spirit's the main reason. And the Bible says that in Ephesians, to not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, and it says it grieves the Holy Spirit. And that foul language grieves the Holy Spirit. And also, be careful in your home that there's not things that, that are grotesquely violent, like horror movies. You know, those movies like those slasher movies can have a spirit of fear, a spirit of murder, and a spirit of death that's attached to it. You got to be careful what you allow because, you know, here you are wanting a place that you sleep in. Okay, you you go to sleep there and you're out of it, and you want that place to be the place God dwells, not demonic spirits. Okay, and you start allowing stuff that's satanic, start watching stuff that's witchcraft, and these these slasher movies or sexually perverted, pornographic, and it doesn't have to be pornographic, just something where people are, it's causing lust. You can allow spirits to come in. And you, you come up, you try to pray, you try to worship, and, it, and the, the atmosphere is oppressed and heavy. It's hard to pray. If you'll clean out your home and get rid of all that junk out, destroy it and get it out of your life, pray over your home, dedicate to the Lord, get it under the blood, because of the blood of Jesus being there, the glory will rest there. But protect that glory. Guard that glory. Because that glory is also going to be what protects us in these last days. We're going to need it. So once you go from the blood and, and through the blood and then you begin to worship the Lord, this could already be 30 minutes past easy. Then you move into the part that says, Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many knows that we have spiritual authority? Too many Christians do not realize and recognize the authority that you really have. The second that you're born again, you're born of God. You're born of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So automatically, from the time you're born again, you are a threat to the devil. And you're an enemy to the devil. And you have authority over his kingdom. I mean immediately, right then. The problem is, is God's got to spend years getting people to believe that. That's the reason why it takes a while. But it's, but it's instant. 
And that's why you hear some stories sometimes about baby Christians in some situation where they get born again. And then immediately some evangelist tells them, pray for so-and-so. And they pray for them. And literally miracles happen like that. Because they have the authority right then. I've heard of that. There was one guy that accepted Christ. And within a couple days, he was in Africa. He was giving his testimony at a place that I know about. Anyway, he said within a few days, he was challenged by the local witch doctor. And he had to pray for somebody that was sick to be healed in front of everybody. And he had only been saved a couple days. And God healed him. You just have to step out there. You know what I'm saying? In faith. But you have authority. So my point is, in prayer, you need to understand that you have authority. Now, once you get washed in the blood of Jesus, it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what kind of day you're having. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're perfect or not, because nobody is and nobody ever will be. But the blood of Jesus washes you and makes you holy and righteous right now. And if you'll understand that, that once you come through the blood of Jesus, you are the righteousness of God. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin become sin so that you can become the righteousness of God. And listen, I love the Amplified Bible, James 5.14. The prayers of a righteous man make tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. So you've got to understand you're righteous, so now your prayers have power. Your prayers have power. Let me just give you something to think about. If God said, if you ask me, I'll do it. Once you ask God and he decides he's going to do something, who's going to stop him? I mean, have you ever really thought about that? That if you ask God to do something, he says, okay. And he's, I mean, who's going to stop him? The devil? Give me a break. You think man's going to stop him? No. God will run right over all that. God, if God set forward to do something, nothing can stop God except one thing. You stop believing. And you say, well, I guess God's not going to do it. That's the only thing. It'll grind it to a halt. As long as you're stepping out there and believing, nothing can stop God. So, with that said, use your authority in prayer. So you go through the blood, then you have time of worship. Now you're in the glory. Now begin to use your authority as you pray. And push back the tides of darkness. See, this your kingdom come will be done is actually in the Greek. It's actually a declaration of faith. It's taking authority that you are commanding that God's kingdom be released in the earth. On earth as it is in heaven. It's actually you using your authority to bring the kingdom of God into the earth. Now think about that for a minute. You actually have the authority to do this. That's why healing starts breaking out because there's no sickness in heaven. So the healing power of God, it's like you're a window because you're a Christian. The window of God now, the kingdom of heaven starts invading earth and sickness flees. The kingdom of heaven starts invading earth and demons flee. The kingdom of heaven invades earth and now poverty flees. See, we've got to start using our authority because once you start using your authority, then God will start backing you up. See, the thing is, God, a lot of people are sitting back. Do you remember when Moses was supposed to cross the Red Sea? And I don't blame the guy. If I was in his shoes, I would have done the same thing. So would you. He's sitting there freaked out. I mean, there's an army coming and all these people are dependent on him and there's water in front of me. You know, and, and he was asking God, do something helpless. And God says, quit asking me and lift your rod up. You know what he was saying? The rod represents authority. There's a lot of times that God is saying to people, quit begging me and start using your authority and start commanding that water in front of you to part. See, you go up to somebody and they're demonized and they need to be delivered. Let's say you're on the street witnessing. Let's be real practical. And you can tell somebody's got a demon. They need to get delivered. Now you can sit there and ask God for 30 minutes, God, please deliver this person. And God's merciful. He might do it like that, you know. But I can tell you what probably 99% of the time you're going to hear from God. Quit asking me. And you use the name of Jesus and command that thing to get out. There's a difference. See, people are asking God sometimes, but they need to take authority. They have lost loved ones. Quit begging God all the time. I keep asking, but listen. When you pray, lift up that person and use your authority and say, Lord, I bind the devil that's coming against my lost loved ones. You're not going to have them. They are not yours. I break your power off them. I bind that spirit of rebellion. I break that power off their mind. You're not going to deceive them anymore. You're trying to blind their eyes to the gospel. I command that to come off their eyes. And I bind you, Satan, back off. 
And Lord, I ask you, I release the kingdom to begin to move in their life right now. The kingdom of God invade their life. And let your Holy Spirit begin to draw them unto you. Send your angels, Lord. Do you see what I'm saying? That's how you're supposed to pray. That is what Jesus meant when he said, your kingdom come will be done. That you are using your authority to enforce the kingdom of God to drive back the darkness and bring in the light. And it's not a matter of begging God. He wants to do it. Why would we have to beg him about something that, listen, if Jesus paid for it on the cross, that should show you that God is very willing for us to have it. Because for the fact that God would allow that to come on Jesus, and Jesus would allow it to come on him and take that on the cross, that shows you that God must really, really want that to happen. And one of the things that God wants to happen more than anything is that people be saved. So you don't have to keep begging God about saving people because He wants to save them more than you want them to be saved. We do need to ask Him, but we also need to use our authority to drive back what's trying to hinder them from being saved. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, I believe it is, that the God of this age has blinded their minds. So in other words, Satan has blinded their minds. See, you can ask these people about street evangelizing. I've done a lot of it myself. Man, it can become really obvious real quick that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of hell connect like me right there on the streets. I've seen people that as soon as I walked up to them, something manifested in their life. I've seen people that as soon as the gospel came, things got weird. Why? Because the kingdom of hell and the kingdom of God clash right there. But it's our responsibility to bind that and drive it back so that those people can be saved. They're in bondage. They're in bondage to the devil. That's why prayer and intercession in churches is so vital because people as anointed as they are, like Brother Anthony and other evangelists out there, they would not be able to see the fullness of the fruit that they're anointed to see if nobody was praying. It takes the prayers of the body of Christ to drive back the tides of darkness away from the harvest field so that the harvesters can come in and reap it. But it's our authority. God wants us to begin to enforce our authority. That we're commanding where there's been sickness. We curse that sickness to die. And I command healing to be released. And you'll start seeing more happen. Sometimes sickness can be a spirit. That's why Jesus sometimes rebuked a spirit. And then the person was healed. That was about half the time. About half the time Jesus healed the sick. The person had a demonic spirit that was causing it. And as you command that spirit to go, the sickness disappears. But we need to use our authority. This is good. And you can sit there and go through your lost loved ones. Go through your workplace. I mean, you're in prayer. You're sitting there in your mind's eye. You're seeing your lost loved ones. You're seeing your workplace. You're seeing your city. You're praying for your nation. But you're using your authority. And as you do that, the kingdom of darkness will flee, I'm telling you. This can take, you know, you could be doing this up to 45 minutes easy. Lose track of time. Do you see how how praying long time is not difficult? It's really not. It's enjoyable. It's powerful. The next thing is now you're moving into give us this day our daily bread. This is where you ask God to meet your needs. The Bible promises he will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Now I want you to hear what I'm saying right here. He will supply all of your needs according to His richness and glory. We, I think a lot of times people are limiting God there. Because it's according to His great wealth. It's coming from Him. He will meet your needs abundantly is what I'm trying to get at. And God wants to bless His people. So when you pray, you need to have the mentality of not having a poverty mentality. I've known people that grew up really poor. And I was, I've been friends with people over the years that had that. And because of that, they had a tendency to have a poverty mentality. They were afraid to give. Because they went without growing up. I understand that. They were afraid to give. And every time they wanted to buy something, they always looked at... They had a mentality like they, they shouldn't get anything that's nice. They should always get something that's trash. You know what I'm saying? And they were afraid to step out and put themselves in a situation to have something nice in life because they always had that poverty mentality holding them back. You've got to get, you've got to renew your mind where you have a mentality of God's abundant provision in your life. And let me tell you why. 
because God does want to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. What if every Christian across the board, all Christians, everybody, was poor? How would the evangelist be able to go out on the streets and win souls? How would missionaries be sent? How would churches keep the lights paid? So God's wanting to bless his people so in turn they can help fund the kingdom of God. And that's just the way it is. So when you pray, ask God to remove that poverty mentality and begin to see things differently. Begin to see yourself prospering in life for the kingdom. Jesus paid for that. Do you remember when the, the crown of thorns was driven into Jesus' head? But you got to understand in Genesis, um, God told Adam, he said, because you ate of the fruit, you're going to now toil by the sweat of your brow you will eat and the ground is cursed. In other words, he was really going to struggle. When Jesus died on, on Calvary, he took the blood, the blood came out the sweat of his brow to break the power of poverty so that we can move into prosperity. Okay? But let me give you some pointers about praying about this. Number one, that you pray with faith for your needs. It's important that we believe. The second thing is be specific. Dr. Cho's hilarious story about praying for the bicycle. Many of you know it. And he needed a bike. I mean, he really did. And he was asking God. And he was believing God. And he had prayed. And he was standing in faith. And he was, he was believing it to be done. Nothing happened. And so he goes in his prayer time and says, Lord... Now, I asked you for the bike, okay? And your word says you would do this, so what's the deal? And the Lord told him, said, you need to tell me which bike you want because there's a lot of bicycles out there. And Dr. Cho said, I'm sorry. He said, I specifically want this color, this bike, because this is what I need. And he was real specific. And did you know within like, what was it, a week or two or something, he had the bike. So, a lot of times, people are being too vague. They're saying, well, you know, God, you know I need a financial miracle. Well, ask him specifically, what do you actually need? Well, Lord, I need $200 to pay this bill. Then be specific. And let me give you another pointer about it. God's not up there trying to withhold that from you, but there is an evil devil out there that's trying to withhold it from you. So, here's what you do. You say, Lord, I ask you to meet my needs, the $200. Now, I'm going to believe that you heard me. And then you turn around and say, I put the blood of Jesus on my $200 and I bind the devil. You're going to let it go right now in Jesus' name. Get your filthy hands off of it because it's coming my way. And I ask you, Lord, to send your angels to bring it in. And then you believe. You've got to use your authority. And after you pray, let your words be full of faith. If you go into prayer and you pray about something, and then you walk out of your prayer time... And all you got to say about it is, well, I don't know if God's going to do it. I, you know, I, he may not, I don't know. He, there could be a possibility this isn't going to happen. What am I going to do? And it's all full of doubt, fear, and unbelief. You can actually sabotage your own prayers. <laughs> Some people are their own worst enemy. They don't even need the devil, man. Don't sabotage, don't sabotage your prayers. When you come out of your prayer time, you should be saying, Lord, you should be telling people, I prayed about this. I believe God's doing it. There's miracles on the horizon. God's meeting my needs. I know he's going to come through and speak faith. And you watch, it'll happen. Another thing, well, after you pray about your specific needs, is to forgive others. Make sure that you check yourself for unforgiveness because that will clog the blessing. I don't know about you, but I, if... There's a pipeline between me and heaven, and I don't want it clogged. If it's clogged, it's not clogged on God's end of it. He doesn't have a plumbing problem, okay? If it's clogged, it's clogged on my end of it. And one of the greatest ways to clog up the flow of blessings in your life is to get unforgiveness in your life. So you need to make sure that you check yourself for unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is something that can literally poison somebody spiritually. And so as you're praying about forgiveness, forgiveness, number one, is a choice. Number two, it is done by faith. That means you're not going to feel it. You know what faith means? Faith means you don't feel it and you don't see it, but you still believe it. That means you go in there and you're hurt. Somebody just betrayed you and, and you, you want to just slap them. Oh, and you're so upset. And you, you, you go in your prayer time and you say, Lord, you told me to forgive people, so I choose to forgive them now. And I'm going to have to do this by faith, okay, because I feel very hurt right now. 
but I choose to forgive them and I forgive them by faith. And then you ask the Lord for his grace. He says he gives grace to humble. Lord, I need your grace right now that you, by your Holy Spirit, will come do this through me because this is hard. And the Holy Spirit will help you. He'll do it through you. Where you could not do it, the Holy Spirit will give you the grace and the strength and he'll do it through you. But make sure that you stay walking in forgiveness every day. And Jesus said, to pray, after you get through all that, you pray, the Holy Spirit's now helping you. Jesus said to begin to pray for them and to begin to bless them. So in your prayer time, you lift up your hands and you speak over them. I bless you in Jesus' name. God's going to move you into his, in, into his purposes in your life. You're going to become what Jesus wants you to be. I bless you. That in, in whatever they need in their life, just speak a blessing over them and pray for them. Lord, do a work in their life. Bring a healing in all of us. Hey, you know, change them into the image of Christ and change me into the image of Christ. And pray for them and God will honor that. The next thing after forgiveness is lead us not into temptation. How many knows in this evil world that we live, there's temptation everywhere. So we need to be prayed up as we go throughout our day. We really do. Some people are in worse environments than others at home or at work or whatever. And you need to stay in prayer and what you need is the Lord to help you to overcome temptation. So whenever you get to this point in prayer, you say, Lord, I'm asking you that you would guide my steps away from temptation. Don't lead me into temptation, but let me be guided, my steps to be led down the path of righteousness, the path of life. And give me the grace to overcome temptation today. And that I'll live holy, I'll die to the flesh, whatever's around me won't affect me. And I'm going to live a righteous life for you. You need to pray for that every day. And God will help you. The Bible said for you to pray that way. You can overcome the flesh, overcome the world's influence, and overcome demonic temptation. If Jesus was tempted by the devil, don't you know that me and you are going to be tempted? But Jesus showed us how to overcome and showed us that we can overcome. And so as you pray... I'm telling you that coming out of your prayer life, as you walk through your day, there'll be a grace on you to overcome temptation. And then the last point is deliver us from evil. We're living in some dark times. But I believe with all my heart that we can live in a modern day Goshen. See, the children of Israel were in bondage and Moses came and he was like a picture and type of Christ. If you'll follow me, You'll see what I'm saying. He was a picture and type of Christ. And he was bringing God's people out of Egypt, right? It's the same picture and type of the children of God now being brought out of this evil world system. Through not only the rapture, which will happen, but I'm talking about people being brought out through death, through martyrdom, whatever. You're coming out of this evil world system and going into the promised land of the Lord. But... While the children of Israel were coming out, all these plagues were coming on Egypt. As the children of God are being led out of this evil world system in these last days, the, all these end time plagues are coming on the world. It's the same picture and type. But while the children of Israel were in Egypt, and the plagues were coming down on the, on the Egyptians, the children of Israel lived in this little area called Goshen. You should read this. Even though the plagues were coming on Egypt, in that one little area, there was no plagues. It was dark in Egypt, pitch black, couldn't see your hand in front of your face. The children of Israel had light. Now explain that. That had to be God. It was as though everything that was coming on the evil world was not coming on God's people. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? I believe in these last days the plagues are coming on the world. Okay, And you're going to see this. You're going to see the natural disasters. You're going to see the different sicknesses. You're going to see all the things the Bible says that we'll see. And we're on our way out of here. But while we're here, we can live in a modern day Goshen. Where even though these things are coming down on the world, we're protected. But what's going to bring that protection primarily is the glory. So, deliver us from evil. You've got to understand that number one, the blood on your life protects you from the devil. That Job, even though he lived 
I mean, before Moses, this Job lived a long time ago. And while he was every day cutting the, an animal's throat and shedding blood for his family, the blood of an animal brought so much protection that the devil himself told God, I can't get to Job. I can't touch him. There's a hedge around him and his family. All that he has, I cannot touch him. And Satan started accusing Job, saying, but if you'll lift the hedge and I attack him, you know. But the blood of an animal brought that much protection to a family, a whole household. How much more will the blood of Jesus? So the blood of Jesus being over your life forms a hedge around you the devil can't get through, number one. Number two, the Bible promises us that angels encamp around those that fear the Lord. Number three, Satan's plans are canceled through prayer. When you pray every day, Lord, cancel the devil's plans against me today. Let his assignments be confused. It cancels the enemy's plans. But people that don't pray, it's as though the enemy can strategize and there's no prayer resistance. And so the enemy sometimes does attack. But a lot of the attacks of the enemy can be blocked through prayer. There's an interesting story I read about a guy that used to be a Satanist that became a Christian. And he was telling this story. And he said him and his little devil worshiping buddies, they were trying to um, you know, go and release these curses against people. And one of his little buddies said this. They, they were doing stuff. They were doing all this devil worship stuff I'm not going to get into. And they were, they were trying to release curses. And he left and came back like days later and his friend was very frustrated. And this is a true story. And, it, and he asked his devil worshiping buddy, he said, what's the deal? And his friend said, we can't get through. He said, we're being oppressed by angels. Amen. That's what he said. He said, we're being oppressed by angels and we can't get through this. You know why? Because the Christians were praying. And therefore, the kingdom of God, the angels were coming, and everything they were trying to do, they were being blocked, and they were frustrated. There was a story um, that another lady told that was a witch, and she could see in the spirit realm, and she was trying to attack this preacher's home. And in the spirit realm, she could see, and she got up to his home, and there were angels all around the whole property holding hands like this, and whenever she got up against it, she got knocked backward. And she was really humiliated and angry, but she never got through. Amen. The enemy's plans, and later she became a Christian, but the enemy's plans are canceled and blocked through prayer. And he can't get through. And I encourage you to read Psalm 91 and learn to quote it. Think about this. The Bible says, those that dwell in the secret place. This is the promise. You will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Is there a safer place anywhere? You're under the shadow of the Almighty. And the Bible says, under His wings you'll find refuge. You ever seen a bird take the little chicks and they, and they pull them up against them and they'll put their wings over them like this? You'll dwell in, under the wings. Under His feathers you find rest. His faithfulness and His truth will be your shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the nighttime nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the plague that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side. That's a lot of people. Ten thousand at your right hand. That's a lot more people. But it won't come near you. You'll only watch as the wicked are punished. The Bible says no plague, calamity, or disaster will come near you nor your dwelling. He said that the angels will accompany you. And they'll bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. That's literal, friend. You're walking along and they're, they're helping you along in life. And it says that because you acknowledge and you know his name, he will protect you. He'll set you on high. That means you're pulled up out of negative circumstances. and put up. A, he'll set you on high. You'll call upon him. He'll answer you. He'll be with you in trouble. Now, you want the Lord to be with you in trouble like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys remember that story? The Lord was with them in trouble. And he will deliver you, the Bible says, and honor you. Those words are very powerful. He'll deliver you and he will honor you. With a long life satisfy you and show you his salvation. The word salvation in Hebrew is the same counterpart word to the Greek sozo. That's the whole thing. God will show you his salvation, which means protection, healing, deliverance, provision, made to do well, prosper in life, all of that. That's a powerful promise. I encourage you to memorize that and speak that over your family every day. There was a general in World War II that had his, his platoon do that. And people all around them were suffering a lot of loss, but they didn't. And it was later said that it was because they kept speaking Psalm 91 every day over their troop. Isn't that powerful? 
And the last is this. If you really want to seal your prayer time, then you end it with praise. See, I've taught you guys, you come in, I didn't get into it today, but you come in with thanksgiving and praise anyway. Not grumbling and complaining. You come in with thanksgiving and praise, and then you end it with thanksgiving and praise. And you say, Lord, to you be the kingdom and the power and the glory. And you worship him and thank him. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering my prayers today. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is at work. Thank you that the devil's kingdom is bound and their, their plans are canceled. Thank you that your angels are on assignment. And as you praise him and thank him, it seals your prayers. It's done. It's set in motion. Now you can begin to see how easy it is to pray now for extended periods of time. Think about this. You could soak in God's presence easy for an hour. You can pray in the Spirit easy for an hour. And let me give you a quick pointer. My wife, had, we were talking about going deeper in the Lord. And she has a powerful testimony about this. And she was, she was asking me, you know, because she's, she has a powerful prayer life, but she also works a secular job. And she was saying, with my schedule, how do you think I could go deeper? And we were talking about it, you know. And I said, well, I think that if you prayed in the Spirit, on your way to work every day. Just pray. And it's like a 40, 45 minute drive. Pray in the spirit. On your, and so she started doing that. She told me that after a month, she felt completely different. Like, like this inner strength, greater faith, greater boldness. Beginning to see things spiritually she had never seen. See, you could pray in the spirit for an hour easy. Soak in the Lord for an hour. You can pray this pattern I just gave you for an hour. And there you've got three hours easy. And I haven't even gone into the tabernacle yet. And not to mention other things that we're going to be talking about, about the power of the shofar calling to the north, south, east, and west, and other aspects of prayer, like speaking blessings. These are all powerful. I'm going to get into that next week. But I want you to know that your prayer life can go deep, and if you'll take this pattern, it will take you deep, friend. Trust me. And there's something powerful about this. I don't understand it. This is what I'm going to close with right here. There's something powerful about combining prayer fasting and giving. I don't understand it, but let me tell you some testimonies. I've had times in my life where I needed a miracle. And I know other people that I've told this to that they can testify to this too. I needed a miracle. And I would pray and I would fast and then I would ask the Lord, is there anything you want me to give? Because Jesus said this. He said, remember in the book of Matthew, I believe chapter 6, he said, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. He didn't say if. He said when. And I believe that there's a connection between People that are prayer warriors at a 30-fold, people that add fasting at a 60-fold, but people that add prayer, fasting, and giving at a 100-fold. You see? And so I would pray and I would fast. I'd ask the Lord, do you want me to give anything? And he would put on my heart to take a certain sum of money and sow it to where it would bless the poor and the needy and also bless the nation of Israel. Okay? And I've done that, and I've seen times where miracles happen... (laughs) I've seen times where they happen the same day. I've seen times when they happen in a few days. But there's something about it that when you pray, you fast, and you give, that unlocks miracles. I don't understand it, but it's a principle. And I've seen it. So pray about that and think about that. There's something about giving to the poor. Psalm 41 talks about those that give to the poor, and it says that God will lift them up out of the sickbed. It says that God will count, they'll be counted among the blessed of the land. How many want to be counted that when when people look, you're among the blessed? And it's obvious. That's those that give to the poor. And the Bible says if you bless the nation of Israel, God will bless you. There's something so powerful about financially and with your prayers, blessing Israel, that it comes back on you big time. And of course, being faithful in tithes and offerings. But in Isaiah 58, it talks about the power of fasting. That it, un, it undoes heavy yokes. It unties those heavy yokes. It breaks the power of the devil. That's what it does. And that your light will shine forth like the noonday. Your healing quickly appear. The glory of God be your rear guard. Those are powerful promises about fasting that are not linked to anything other than fasting. There's certain things that you'll get from fasting that you won't get any other way. And you don't have to. A lot of people try to go into prayer. They don't know how to pray and they try to pray for their first time for like five hours. Don't do that. Go in there and pray for like 15 minutes. 
Other people, they say, I'm going to fast. And they've never fasted in their life. And they're going to fast 21 days straight, not eating. It's like, listen, friend, just, you know, start, start out praying like, you know, 20 minutes. Start out fasting a meal. And then later on, work your way into two meals. Then later on, work your way into a couple days. But don't go in there thinking, I'm going to be some hero, you know. I'm going to fast 40 days, and I'm going to pray all day, every 40 days. You know, it's like, man, you're, you're liable to, um, to get frustrated, okay. Ease your way into it. But I'm going to tell you that there, there are certain fasts that are powerful. But how many knows that God will just honor your prayer and fasting? Sometimes, a lot of times, actually, for me, praying and fasting a meal alone brings a breakthrough right there. A lot of times. And God may put on your heart to pray. What was it? The three-day fast that Esther went on because of a crisis. The 21-day partial fast that Daniel went on where he still ate, but he gave up certain foods for 21 days. And it brought revelation. Remember, Gabriel came to him, gave him revelation. And it also bound the strong man because there was the prince of Persia at work. There was other fasts. The children of Israel fasted and prayed from morning to evening. And there was a stubborn battle they were having with the Benjamites. And they had, they had went to war twice before and lost. But this third time, they all fasted from morning to evening. And God gave them the victory the next day in the book of Judges. So fasting is powerful. So if you'll combine prayer, fasting, and giving as a lifestyle, as the Holy Spirit leads you, I really believe that you're going to start seeing major miracles in your life. Okay? So Lord, I ask you right now as I seal this in prayer... Lord, that let this word bear fruit, that we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers, meaning that we apply this to our lives, that we'll get up tomorrow and we'll start taking the word of God and apply it and begin to, to pray like we've never prayed before and apply this pattern. Because this is the pattern, Lord Jesus, that you taught us. Help us, Lord, to apply it. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Just as you have your eyes closed, as I was praying today, I felt the Lord speak to me about the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The Bible says the Holy Spirit, that his seven attributes are, he's the spirit of the Lord, but he's the spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul prayed for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit to come as the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I felt the Lord tell me that he wanted me to pray over people that the, the Holy Spirit would begin to move in their life in the way of wisdom and revelation to where you begin to see things like never before. And I felt that the Word of God becoming more revelation than it's ever been. That's kind of what I felt. Also, you may begin to have more dreams, prophetic dreams. You may begin to have visions. But ultimately, you were going to move into a realm of revelation. And anybody that wants that tonight, I want to pray for people about that because I really feel the Lord is moving in a way of impartation tonight about the Holy Spirit coming as the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And that's what the Apostle Paul prayed, remember? He said that your eyes be enlightened, but he said that the spirit of wisdom and revelation come on you and so that you would know the Lord, that you would know Him more intimately. And I believe it also has to do with knowing His ways and staying in tune with Him. All of that is revelation. I want to pray for people tonight. But those that have a pen, I want you to write this down real fast. Five is the number of grace, okay? Here's five things that I pray for every day. I pray for more wisdom every day. Write that down. I pray for more wisdom. The Bible says God will give you wisdom without finding fault. He'll give it to you liberally. How I many knows asking for wisdom is a smart prayer? Okay? Number two, I ask for the Lord to, get, to increase his favor on my life. Because favor will cause people and situations to turn in your favor. People will like you that normally wouldn't. Situations will turn in your favor. I also ask the Lord for a fresh anointing. We need a fresh anointing. We don't need some old stinky oil from ten years ago. You hear what I'm saying? How many of if you dump out some oil and you leave it sitting out for like a year and come back, it's going to be old and it's going to smell bad. We need fresh oil. Number four, I ask the Lord for more of his glory because his glory, his manifest presence needs to be in our lives in an awesome way. And number five, I ask the Lord for more 
discernment and revelation in my life. More discernment and revelation. And those five prayers, five is the number of grace, I ask the Lord for those every day, for his grace, that he'll increase those things in my life. And I tell you, I really feel like that that prayer has changed my life and impacted me deeply. All right, if you want prayer tonight, I want to shut down recordings now. I'm going to pray for people. If God does touch you and put you out on the power, I want you to just soak in that and let the Lord marinate you and wrap you up in his presence.